Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. And I pray this morning you are encouraged uh, in the word uh, to be more and more like the one who called us to him. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God Almighty, for your goodness and your mercies. I pray this morning for the church. I pray that the church you have established, that you continue to build and strengthen and protect and watch over. We pray for those that are unwell, that you would continue to strengthen them and to heal them. We pray for those who may be away doing things and ministering. We pray for your blessing to be upon them. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to work through your word as well. We pray that the soil that the seed is planted on this morning is good uh, because hearts are ready, deeply ready to receive and to do as you've asked them to do. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We know that you know every heart that is here and we pray that hearts are ready and open to receive your truth. Equip me and help me to do this, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And in a moment, I'm going to read a, uh, I read a very familiar passage to you in verses 1 and 2. But I'm not going to dwell in this verse. I'm not going to dwell in these verses. Uh, I, I, wanted, I do then want to read to you some other verses in the, in the Bible that I'd like you to turn with me to. But um, to start, we're going we're to have a read of Romans 12, uh, verses 1 to 2. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke to you about self-control. I spoke to you about the idea of that when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to be people who demonstrate self-control. And I pray that over the last couple of weeks that something has happened or perhaps you've reflected on this and you've thought about this and you've uh, um, shown the fruit of this self-control. I wonder sometimes whether God does certain things um, to, to uh, remind us, or me anyway, uh, maybe even as a bit of a test to certain... I know the last week, and yet, you know, there are particular weeks where things just seem more intense than other weeks and so last week after I preached on self-control a number of occasions throughout the week I thought my goodness this is really pushing me to the point where what am I going to do you know Um, but thank God for his victory in Christ and thank God because this is what the Lord has called us to to be real in his word you know this we're not about fabricating faith we're not about pretending to be Christians we're not about just speaking you you know talking the talk we want to be able to be very very real uh, and this morning, what I really want to focus on is this idea of conformity, this idea of conformity, this concept of conformity. What is it? What is it that God has called us to conform not to and, and then indeed to conform to? This concept of conformity, because just like self-control, it's a very important idea in the Christian faith. It's a very important idea when we, when we live our lives as Christians. And, and to start us off, I want us to, for you to paint a picture. If I ask you to paint a picture... Paint a picture of the world as you know it today, a Christless world as you know it today. If you were to paint a picture of this, and there was little, little kind of like a collage of, of, of different concepts and ideas of what this world reflects, and you were um, asked to do, make, create this collage, this beautiful picture of what this world reflects, what, what kind of images would you, would you create? What kind of images would you try and paint for us to understand but if you were just think think of the world and how a christless world lives what 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 sort of uh, um, comes to your mind what do you think about as a as a christless world 
The Bible tells us in 1 John, in, in, the, in the second chapter of 1 John, that there is a love of the world. And then for our benefit, John tells us what the love of the world entails. It gives, he gives us a framework of what this love of the world looks like. And he talks about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And he, he gives this sort of threefold idea of what the love of the world is. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And somewhere in your painting of what the world looks like, I imagine you'd have something like that. Some of, some of those images reflected in different ways in this painting. You might consider for a moment the way the world celebrates how the world entertains themselves, the things that they indulge in and consume themselves with because they think this is celebration. Maybe you think of those things and you, you, you have a corner where you, you paint the world's celebration of life and in the self-indulgent nature of, of humanity. Or maybe in another corner, you would, you would consider um, the dynamics in relationships and how relationships can be utterly selfish at times because this is a reflection of the world. You need to defend your rights in every situation. The idea of humbling yourself and, and, and being selfless is, a, is you know, it's, it's, it's too um, um, oppressive. And maybe in some corner, you would have a, paint, have, have a picture like this around the dynamics of relationships or maybe you would paint an area where you look at the, the the way people react in their workplaces and the conflict that occurs in their work just because their toes have been stepped on <laughs> maybe you would have a section like that where you look at how this is the world does things and how the world relates to things or maybe you have a little section where you know you show a teenager throwing a tantrum or a little you know some some inappropriate reaction to something, something that's, that's over the top to something, or having a meltdown, or dare I say, just not teenager. And you have this little collage of, this collage of the world and how the world, uh, you see it, and, and the things that you, you kind of would expect to see in, in, in this world. And I want to I share this morning, brothers and sisters, that this is just a sample, a sample of what we are not to be conformed to. Sometimes I wonder the reason why, um, what, sometimes I wonder what Christians don't see, what they don't see when, in these things and more of them, that they don't see it is a pattern of the world. I, I think sometimes Christians just are, are kind of blinded, this idea that, that this is a pattern of the world. And because they don't maybe see it as a pattern of the world, they don't see the seriousness of it. And because they don't see the seriousness of it, they think, why overcome it? Do you understand the logic? Well, it's not really a pattern of the world. It's just what we do as Christians. It's just life. And it's not that serious because doesn't everybody do it? So why endeavor to suffer and overcome? Because what's the point? But if I was to say to you that this is something that the Lord begs us to come out of, a conformity to the world and its attitudes and its ways, because it is seriousness and it can lend itself to death, then all of a sudden you think, oh, I better overcome this. I better take this seriously. I better make 
every effort in faith and belief to lay it down before the Lord and not throw that tension or have that meltdown or, or, or speak in such a, um, a, a way that is filled with self-indulgent rights. And allow Christ to live in me. And all of a sudden we begin to see the seriousness of needing for it to be overcome. And so Paul, when he had just finished telling the Romans of the, um, the, the greatness of God, he finished telling the Romans the greatness of God, he says in, tw- in chapter 12, verse 1, he's just telling them how great God is, just before that, at the end of chapter 11. He says in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want them to be holy. They need to be acceptable to God because that's your reasonable service. That is what's expected from you. There's no compromise. There's no detour. Getting off track. And then he asks in verse 2, he says, "And, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and that's when you begin to see in Christians you begin to see what is good and acceptable and you see the perfect will of God because they're not prepared to conform themselves to this world this idea of conformity you know it's really easy to conform yourself to this world it's very easy It doesn't really take a lot of effort to act and think and react like everybody else. I'm not talking about necessarily the way you dress, um, necessarily, but but it could involve that if you decide to want to do things that perhaps are, again, self-indulgent and all about you. But it's not hard to act like the world. It's not hard to speak like the world. It's not hard to get angry like the world. It's not not hard to hold grudges like the world. It's not hard to defend yourself like the world. But this isn't a picture of Christ. What God has called Christians to do is to come into his kingdom and be conformed, made like Jesus himself. And this is not new to the New Testament. God has always wanted his people to remember him and be like him. He's always asked that. And I love a couple, there's some passages in the Old Testament where I want us to read this morning, where just to give an idea of how God has always wanted his people to conform to him and not like the world. And so, so there was, you know the time when he brought them out of Egypt and he took them through a wilderness and as they were getting towards the end where they were going to land and, and establish themselves and, and, and be, uh, create their own nation. And, and so what, just before he gets them into this place, he wants to communicate some very important things that I think for us are really, really significant in the world we live in today. And I want, you, I want us to read this together. And if you turn right back into the um, fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, I want us to read this together because I think you would agree with me. This is a very, very good example of what God is saying to his people even today. Even today. One of the concerns that God had for his people 
is that they were leaving a nation that was uh, filled with godless activity. He had about 40 years to kind of deal with them and, and work with them. And then they were entering a nation where that still surrounding them would have been a very godless community or what we would call today a very Christless community. And so, 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 so he, he had taken them from that place, perhaps you could say trained them, and now he was placing them back in a, in a sort of similar environment. But now they had a choice. Before they were slaves, but now they are free. Okay, So that was the big difference between the two. And so this is what he says to them in chapter 6. He says, And so shall it be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a large and and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and you are full... Then be aware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I'll stop there for a moment, then we'll read the next couple of verses soon. The first thing he says to them is this. You're going to come into a place, and guess what? There's going to be this abundance of things you're going to be able to inherit. You're going to have all these things. You're going to have houses you didn't build and, and, and trees you didn't plant and, and wells you didn't dig and, and all these things that you're going to have because you're going to have this, uh, an abundance of things that God is going to bless you with. But he asks him, he says, I'm asking you something. I'm, I'm, in, I'm requesting something of you that when you have these things, do not forget me. Why would God even worry about that? Why would God even want to say to them, aren't they going to be so thankful that their lives are going to be going so well, that they're going to have the things that they need in life, that God's going to be providing for them, that they're going to be, they can't ever say that God isn't the God of provider. Aren't they going to just be hearts that are going to be filled with gratefulness all the time? Well, you know what, brothers and sisters, it doesn't always happen like that. And as things happen in the Christian walk and you establish yourself and you have what you need, and there's provision in life, and the things you pray for you get, and all these things start to kind of feel comfortable around you, and then you forget the Lord your God. Meaning somehow he gets kind of in the, he gets, he gets muddled up in all the provisions of life that somehow he's no longer central and Lord of everything. Now your house is yours. Now your job, it's yours. Your children are yours. That somehow you claim things to be yours and he's no longer at the center of things. That he takes lordship over everything. Your wealth, your family, your friends, your work, whatever. He no longer has the lordship over everything. But for this thing, don't touch God, it's mine. Because what we do is we conform ourselves to the world. And he asks his people, when you come into this place, you need to remember me. Because don't let these things lift your hearts to the place where you think you don't need me anymore. Or as much anymore. Like the world thinks. That they can do life without God. And so he warns them with great great care for them. Do not let, he says, lest you forget the Lord 
your God. And then in verse 13, he says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. So he asks them, firstly, remember me. And the second thing he asks them to do is please, he wants them to always not do what they do. Don't do what they do. And if you go back a couple of chapters, he actually gives really specific details what he doesn't want them to do and the practices of the, uh, the nations around them and the way they treated their children and other things that they did and the sacrifices that they made. And he gives them really specific details of what he doesn't want them to do. But the, the lesson is the same. Don't do what they do. Because he doesn't want them to conform. He knows the pain and the anguish and the problems it's going to cause if they do this. He knows their hearts will be lifted up and they'll neglect him and their faith will dwindle and perhaps even destroy. And he doesn't want this for them. And he says, you know what, when you come into this place, don't be like them. Don't be conformed. Does it remind you of Romans 12? Is it similar to what Paul asks us to do in Romans 12? What about in the book of Daniel? For those of you who might know the book of Daniel, God finds, God's people find themselves in slate or captivity. And the king of the day wants men to serve him. So he gathers from his own and from those in captivity. And Daniel's one of them. And interestingly, he wants them to eat what he wants them to eat. He wants them to drink what he wants them to drink. And he wants to train them for three years. Well, that's a, that's a massive orientation, isn't it? Three years training to serve the king. <laughs> it's massive discipleship. And Daniel, while in captivity, the Bible says, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Do you understand what he's doing? So what Daniel is actually basically saying is, okay, I get it. I need to be trained up to serve the king, but I in my heart do not want to touch and eat and drink and be like what they are because I want to do it in the way that still is going to honor my God. That's a very bold move because he knew he would have known this could have meant his death. Who is he? Firstly, he's not even one of them. Secondly, he's in captivity. And now he's trying to negotiate with the king. Oh, you know, I'll do it this way, king. And God's favor was upon him. But the point is the same. He did not want to conform in a foreign world, in a foreign land. He did not want to conform to the things of the world. I don't know. I think the churches today conform way, way too easily and way, way too quickly. I think Christians conform way, way too easily and way, way too quickly. Maybe there's a fear of being different. Maybe there's a worry about looking different, sounding different, acting different. I don't know. But God isn't calling us to be unlike the world. I want you to understand something. He isn't calling us to be unlike the world. He's calling us to be like Christ. Our, our focus isn't, how am I going to be different to the world? That's not our focus. 
our focus is how am I going to be like Christ? Because whatever that looks like, however different that is to the world, that's okay. So what is conformity? Well, let me tell you what it's not. Conformity, brothers and sisters, is not adding layers to your Christian walk, hoping that you look more like Jesus all the time. Adding layers to your Christian life, hoping that it will look more and more like Jesus. You know, I'll start reading my Bible, I'll set aside time for prayer, I'll go to church, I'll start saying nice things, I might even start doing things in the church. And we add these layers upon our lives as Christians and we, we, we think, oh, we need to look more and more like Jesus. And, what we, and we're just adding layers upon our Christian life where deep within our heart and being it's unresolved the issues that God is trying to get to the issues that don't look like Christ the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and if these things exist in us and we're adding layers upon our lives hoping that we're going to look more like Jesus what's going to happen all you need is a little thing to touch these areas of your life and there's an explosion no matter how entrenched you are in Christian service no matter how much you're involved in doing things for God, all someone has to do is press the right button and, and address the, the, the right area and no, you, you, you react in a way that's not like Christ. Because deep down there is no real conformity to Christ. That's what Jesus meant, or part of what Jesus meant when he said, no one puts a piece of unstrung cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. You don't go putting a um, uh, you don't go putting a patch on an old garment and then it rips away and it actually becomes worse because they have to be, it has to be new. It's like new, um, new wine in old wineskins. You can't do this, it will burst. What is that he's asking us to do, brothers and sisters, is to find ourselves, rather than adding on layers, we are stripping back self. The stripping back of self is what when we talk about the it's the principle of death. It's the self, it's the dying to self. It's this is what we're, we're stripping back self, not adding layers. If you make sense, go with me to Ephesians chapter four. I want to, I'll read this passage with you as well. If you go with Ephesians chapter four, let's look at what conformity does look like. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 17, the Bible says, This I say, from verse 17, New Testament. Uh, Paul, again, is writing, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Yeah, what's he saying to them? Do not be conformed to this world. Don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind or the emptiness of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness or a real sense, a grave sense of self, sensuality, sorry, sensuality, to work all uncleanness with greediness. 
There's a few things to think about there, isn't there? But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now here we go, that you put off. The first thing is strip back. The way of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. This is the, this is the, the principle where we are dying to self. That you put off concerning your former conduct. Don't leave it there. You can't exist under many layers of things. The old man which grows corrupt to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that's where he says it again, verse 24. And that you then put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so he makes it really, really clear. You see the picture of the world. You see a world painted before your eyes. Well, you need to make a commitment that you, as you come to the end of yourself, as you come to a place where you realize that you can't do this yourself, that what you do is you start to strip back and say, Lord, take it from me. Lord, I give it to you. Lord, I lay it down. Lord, I don't want this. And you lay it down before the Lord and you start stripping back. And then, then by the grace of God, start putting on all this righteousness and holiness. Your concern, brothers and sisters, isn't to be as different as you can to the world. Your concern is to come to the end of who you are and start putting on the image of Christ. What is it? True righteousness and holiness. So there is a right conformity. I'm going to wrap it up soon. There is a right conformity. Romans 8.28. You don't need to turn to this. For he who foreknew... He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the right conformity. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the conformity we're looking for. Unlike the world and very much like his son. So why does Paul beg us, Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, why does Paul... What does Paul beg us to do? He begs us to lay down on the altar of sacrifice, doesn't he? He says, be a living sacrifice. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like the word sacrifice is so um, um, ignored these days. Like, who wants to sacrifice? Who wants to be in a place that they're sacrificing? That's just like so, so old school. You've got to sacrifice. <laughs> and yet it's central to the Christian faith. Without it, the sacrifice is the stripping back. Without it, there is no conformity to Christ. Unless we are first prepared to lay at the altar of sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And Paul, Paul begs us to do this. He says, I beg you, therefore, to present yourselves a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, Because in doing this, in doing this, God's work, God's word, God's spirit begins to work in our minds. The transforming of our minds begins to work in our hearts. The transforming of our hearts that we may prove what is this good and perfect and acceptable will of God. It's very simple. Without this sort of transformation, there really isn't any evidence of salvation. This is what God is doing. 
And God will bring us, as we heard earlier, God will bring us to a place where what we need to understand is this. Stop trying to keep adding things and doing things and changing things, but rather come to a place, a living sacrifice place, a place where I say, Lord, it is you, not me. Yes, that's how they want to be, but it is you, not me. Yes, that's how they want to act, but it is you, not me. That's how they want to entertain themselves, but it is you, it's not me. Because of your love for Jesus and because of what he's done in our lives. It's marvellous. It's marvellous that we can actually comprehend that we can be like Christ. So I'll leave that for you to think about, conformity. Something to chew over during the week. You can choose. You can choose to conform yourself and continue to conform yourself um, in a way that just continues to reflect a Christless world. But even by faith, you're prepared to lay down your life as a living sacrifice. Strip back the things that aren't of God. You can choose now to conform more and more into the image of Christ, which is what we're called to do. This is the conformity we're called to do. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on this morning. <clears throat> Father, there's so many things in this world that will appeal to us, that will draw our attention, that will make us think more and more about perhaps the things we haven't got or the things we should be. Or, but Lord Jesus, you are our all in all. You are our peace. You are our contentment. You are our joy. And you are the one we love. I pray this morning that there is a real commitment to not... Um, not to conform ourselves to any pattern of this world, but a real uh, decision, faith, to look like you, to be like you, speak like you, think like you, to have the mind of Christ in everything. So Lord, we pray this morning that you continue to burn this deep in our hearts, that you allow it to, to come to memory through the week, that when we we, we, we go back into just a, a default in doing things, a pattern of doing things, a way that we normally would do things, that we would remember and to conform to the pattern of this world and call out to you, Lord, and to be like you. Thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for your grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>